it is an incredibly heavy burden. This is Jews Talk Racial Justice with April and Tracy, a weekly show hosted by April Baskin and Tracy Guy Decker. In a complex world, change takes courage. Wholehearted relationships can keep us accountable. Okay, Tracy. So I have something that I want to talk about. Like I want to clap like I want to talk about <laughs> this episode. I just, I really need to burst this bubble, bust this myth, like dissipate this confusion. And I just want everyone who's listening, especially the white folks, especially Americans, especially white Americans, but everyone. And I want us to just ease into the reality that everybody's racist. It's true. (laughs) It's true. Like it's true. That's hard to hear. People are afraid of being racist, but guess what? You don't have to be afraid anymore because you are. It's true. Surprise. Spoiler alert. (laughs) You know, I, in my, um, in my anti-racist. I unpack that a little bit. No, we definitely do. Yeah. Yeah. So let me first, like, let me say that. Let me drop that bomb. And then also like give like some hardcore caveats. And to me, what I mean is like, I don't believe that black people and other people of color, or as I like to refer to people of color, people of the global majority, we do a whole session on that later. But um, so when I'm not saying that, people of color can be racist in the same ways that white people can be. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying that is that against white people. as like, correct against people. white people. Right. Cor- thank you. Thank you for clarifying. Yes. Because I think, um, right. Right. This erroneous concept, which maybe we'll do a whole, a whole episode on, or maybe it's not worth a whole episode about, about this whole, like dispelling this whole myth. Reverse racism. Reverse yeah. racism. Oh. Yeah, it's not a yeah, thing. No, Mm-mm. not a thing, but um, racism is, and there are a number of scholars from Beverly Tatum and um, Brene Myers also like in one of a TED talk she does, she talks about how we were all outside when, I don't remember when the toxins were released, when the smog came down, that uh, racism is a form and white supremacy is a form of systemic oppression um, that our nation was founded on and is deeply steeped in. It's within all of our institutions. It's in our schooling system and the education we've received. And so when I say everyone's racist, what I mean is I say that a little flippantly and, and jokingly to catch people's attention. Um, and it's just a, a simple tagline. But what I'm saying is, is that virtually all white people in America have have internalized um, racial superiority patterns and benefit and participate in systems that are inherently um, white supremacist or racist. And even black people also have the smog on us and, and, and people of color of all racial and ethnic backgrounds have also been recipients throughout our, our entire upbringing and navigating U.S. culture um, racism and therefore have um, different patterns and internalized thinking around having internalized racist messages we've we've received that also needs to be undone. Um, and and so yes, yeah, so I can I, I want to hear what you had to say, but I wanted to just name that, add a little bit more intellectualism to my my um, facetious um, uh, beginning and and shout out to what's that what's that um 
musical called apparently there's like a song that's called like everybody's a little bit racist i haven't actually avenue seen q. it thank you avenue q. q yeah yeah q yeah street, like it's not q street avenue q <laughs> yeah. yeah um so i'm going to come back to what i was going to say but from what you just said the thing that i want to again sort of unpacking this the word you said was systemic and i think that's an important thing for people to remember because we hear that word racist and systemic. what our right but what our brain says what we have been taught that Look that white word folks. means right. is that it means people who are mean to pe- white people who are mean to white pe- to people of color white people who are mean to people of color intentionally people who, mm-hmm. that that's what we've been taught racist means it means skinheads it means kkk it means you know intentional not what that means that those it's are just extra racist those are just There's, those are just the, the radicalized extra, radicalized, right, the radicalized extreme form of racism but that's what we've been taught is racist is is what racist is and so we think about our own sort of private preferences and and we think well well i would i would never put on a hood i would never hurt anybody so i i'm not that and that's why it's so jarring for mm-hmm polite folks to sort of hear that word applied to themselves. But when, when we recognize white folks, white folks, yes. But when we recognize we're talking about systemic oppression, as you just call, as you just named it. um, And, and as you just named from Brene Myers and others have, have used similar metaphors that we are steeping in those messages. Oh, fish and water. It's just, it's so, it's so pervasive that it functions invisibly like a lot of cultures do. And I'm really excited for, uh, you know, for us to do an episode explicitly on white dominant culture or white supremacy culture, because there's a lot, like, I think we just have, as I've said to you offline, like, there's like many episodes and so much content that can come out of that. Um, Just lots of generative conversation. Um, So the thing I was starting to say that I I am going to say now is that What's useful, actually, especially for the white folks who are listening, who are who are maybe trying to be more anti-racist, is it's not a question of if, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's when and how um, you express racism, not because yep. you're a bad person, right? And no, so if you no. can just embrace that. So when I first started um, on my anti-racist path in a in a very subconscious way, and I would lead discussion groups and other things, and I would at Initially, I was really paralyzed. What if, what if I say the wrong thing? And then I decided, I've already said the wrong thing. So now what am I going to do about it? And believe it or not, that was actually really freeing for me. And I think right. I did that right. kind of instinctively. But what I was doing was embracing the fact that I am racist. And it's not a question of whether, it's a question of what I'm going to do about it. And so that has been a really, really useful thing that I often have to come back to, um, to remind myself, like, and even, no matter how far along I go, no matter how much unlearning I've done, I'm still swimming in the same water. Right. So and it has so, to be a constant effort. Right. And so, and I want to clarify here that, that when I say that, I don't say that from a place of judgment. I, to me, that is just a neutral it's not actually neutral, but it's, it's, but into a certain extent in terms of individual, in terms of individual people, it's a fact to me, it's highly unneutral and it's highly horrific. But to me, I place most of that blame on our country as a whole and on the institutions and not on specific individuals 
who were brought into that. But I do believe all of us need to take ownership around some of this awful programming. Like the thing that I want to say is that, and, I, and I'm sure somebody has said this before. And so if anyone wants to let us know later, you know, but the, like racism is, is as American as apple pie, mm-hmm. like American and racism or racist is synonymous. And so it doesn't so that it, the, deeply, deeply. Right. It, 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 I mean, we see entire political campaigns built on it. It's so right. American. And, right? and, just, and our institutions and our educational system and the monuments we have and all of these different things. And a number of them are shifting. And let me be clear that what I'm, when I say that, that is not a static, that is not a permanent situation. Right. If, if our country were to truly deeply address this is, issue, which I believe we must, we have to, um, I think that we're not going to achieve um, a number, like to me, issues around climate change, gun violence, a number of our enduring challenges aren't going to get fixed until we come back and deal with this original heinous sin that was used to weave the fabric of our country. And you know, this may come up again. I think I spend a lot of time thinking about this because I think that many people feel fundamentally threatened. Um, and to me, the macro and the, the micro and the macro are aligned here. That thinking that if we were to actually correct this, that it would destroy our country. And in some ways, I, I think fundamentally that isn't true. And it is true. It, it is going to destroy. It. It right. Well, and it, it would destroy fundamental elements of the racism. Right. Right. So it would be a new reality. But I right. think it's also similar to the fears that people have as someone who in my personal life engages deeply in trauma healing work and anti-oppressive trauma healing work. I know from people I've counseled and who have counseled me that, that whenever one is working on deep trauma, which our racism in the United States is established on horrifically deep, immense, just chattel slavery like my mom was just saying the other day, I'm not going to dive into it now, that you know, when people think of slavery in the Middle East or in, in even in, at other times in part of the world, that, that there are differences between that form of slavery, slavery and American chattel slavery. Like I don't, just the things that were done to human beings, things that were done to black babies and women without anesthesia, the, the scientific experiments, the rape, the slaughter, it's horrific. It's, it's horrific. And... And so that is a trauma, as Professor Joy DeGruy mentions in her work and in her presentations, is something when you, when a people, when a country, when a community, when there is that level of dehumanization and trauma present, everyone in that scenario just about experiences a form of not exactly the same form but the reverse impact of, of that dehumanization. Um, everyone is traumatized or nearly everyone is traumatized in that context. And, and so when we do eventually go and when our country is finally ready, if it ever will be, and I believe it will be, I, I think it could be um, the death of this country. You know, I do agree with some people in and in with my particular valence that if we don't figure out a way to address these things, the current setup we have is not sustainable. Um, I do, however, think that, that there is 
any number of ways that involve restorative justice and truth and reconciliation for us to face this. And I, I'll just speak personally for me as well as what I've seen with other people that I know for a fact personally that when I look at some of my early trauma, I have some resistance to it as someone who knows that this works, but there's a fundamental part of my brain that thinks it's going to be the end by looking at something that dark and painful that I'm not going to be able to get through it. It feels like it's going to be the end, but there's a scene from Finding Nemo where Nemo needs to go through. And what's, what's, what's said in that scene? Like the Dory, I think it's Dory that just keeps swimming. Uh-huh. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so yeah, Dory, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. So Dory is Ellen DeGeneres' character and she has very short-term memory and she says, just keep swimming. Just, it's, she sings it, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. I'm not right. sure how, what and that that's has to what do with our trauma, country, but- right. It does. So, right. So, so it does. Right. So like we, when we are in a process of healing, I've seen for myself, like it feels hard to look at things, but we need to remember that we're not, we've actually learned a lot more. So whether it's in the context of being an adult and looking back at early childhood Childhood trauma trauma. or being a more developed nation and looking back at the beginning of our country, it's not, it already happened. That can't be undone, but what we can do is go back and get healing around our thinking and, and rewrite certain things and rescript certain things of saying that there's no, there's no way that this can fully change, but we can go back and say that this should not have happened. And if there were hundreds of years of unpaid labor, and if this part of our nation, um, Native Americans, um, speaking as someone with Native American descent and heritage and family members who are involved tribal leadership, which I think I mentioned before, but I want to name that because it's often an invisible identity. So um, shout out to my fam and to Native people um, and Native heritage people that (sighs) we need to engage deeply in truth and reconciliation. I was just mostly planning on talking about how everybody's racist, but like we're going into the deep end here and and say that I believe on the other side of going back in and, and, and as a country officially reviewing this stuff and, and looking at all of the different treaties and the broken promises with Native people and the broken 40 acres and a mule and the broken promises and lies and deceit and theft fundamentally of our bodies as well as our livelihoods and, and exclusion from different efforts like the GI Bill that helped build the right. white middle class that, that we do need to go back and that I believe that in doing that and doing that thoughtfully and mindfully and lovingly and using some of the best thinking, the Movement for Black Lives um, policy platform has some wonderful recommendations as well as there are a, a number of, of a range of scholars and um, policy experts and analysts who have all kinds of ideas and suggestions of ways of engaging in reparations and other reparative processes that can ha- that can work in the context of our broader economy um, and can work out for all of us. Um, to me, it's so fundamental, despite the scarcity model that we've been raised with of us versus them, that the more everyone in our country is thriving, um, the, the more, the, the, more the, the better we all are. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like, and I just share one more thought. I know I've been talking a lot and then like, but I just, I remember thinking 
when I used to, for several years when I lived in Dorchester, Massachusetts, which is a predominantly black community that's experiencing um, some significant gentrification, but still I think overall the Dorchester is mostly black um, uh, area of Boston. And I just remember riding the bus and the train station and seeing a number of beautiful, brilliant, black and brown people, many of whom were clearly struggling or were either working class or poor um, or struggling with issues around poverty and thinking how many of these individuals, like in this car, there could be someone who, if they had an opportunity, could actually cure cancer, mm-hmm. right? Like could be the phenomenal leader we need to help us figure out climate change, could be any number of different things. Um, and instead they have to fight to barely make it if they do make it through systemic oppression and all the different ways that that impacts and impairs and limits um, the lives of people of color and specifically black people. You were going to say something. I just want to raise up two things that are coming up for me, two voices, um, both from the past. Um, So one is James Baldwin, who said, you cannot face what you haven't, you know, you cannot change what you haven't faced. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing poorly. Um, I think he, he said it much more eloquently. Um, but basically he said sort of in response to your sense of like, can we do this? He said, I don't know, but I know we can, if we don't, tr- you know, if we don't try, if we don't face it. Um, and, and that yep. was, you know, 50 years ago. Um, and the other one is even older, which is from the thirties. Langston Hughes wrote a poem called America where he says, America never was America for me. Um, mm-hmm. where he really sort of lays out what, the American ideal is of who we think we are, who we say we are. And he says it, it was never that for me. And he was saying right. that in the thirties with the Harlem Renaissance. I mean, it's a, it's a really powerful poem, especially with the echoes of like make America great again today. Um, mm-hmm. But even before, even before sort of the contemporary po- political scene, the, the power in Hughes is words in that poem. Like I come back to it regularly um, as sort of a reminder that, and, and he wasn't talking about just sort of race issues. He, he clearly talks about class and other ways that sort of the ruling elite, uh, other intersectional identities that the ruling elite um, used to maintain their power. Um, so those two voices from the past of um, Hughes and, and Baldwin were coming up for me as you were, as you were talking. Thank you for mentioning those. And it might be worth us revisiting one or both of them and like in a whole episode and just really diving into that text and brilliance. Um, Yeah. And so to circle back, because this went deeper than I was planning on. Yeah. You started like really like you, you were a little bit glib in the beginning, but you went deep. It's great. I love it. Right. Right. You know, but so that being said, like, I don't think that this is, something that needs to be set in stone, um, but more so than any little specific actions, all of which are helpful and important. um, It's really time, especially within the Jewish community, as well as in broader society, for us to take on and think about what would it take for us to have conversations that could shift fundamental systems in terms of um, the prison industrial complex and 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 healing and addressing these original sins that still impact us 
today. Original sins that then continued with lynching and all these other patterns, oppressive patterns that lead into um, wrongful and over-incarceration today. Um, so I want, I say, when I say that racism is everywhere and it's on all of us, um, that is a serious issue. And it's also not one where people need to feel deep shame or get paralyzed by. Um, again, I think I'm, I'm touching upon a number of things that could be so many additional episodes, but um, what I would say about this is that this is something that it is an incredibly heavy burden. It's something that our country has yet to figure out and ultimately is upon our national leadership and government um, and the people to help leverage them and how to help push them and pressure them to do that right. um, to, for us to collectively address. And in the meantime, obviously, there's many different things individually that it's helpful for us to do, but ultimately, that's the big goal that we need to move toward is a restorative justice process that holds and honors the humanity of everyone involved in this scenario um, and says, what are the different actions we need to do to right the wrongs of the past and now and begin? And it's not going to be a one-year thing. This is likely going to be at least a 20 or 40-year or 100-year process, right, to, to do all the work that needs to be done. But I want to encourage us, and I know that's a bold vision, but I'm one for bold visions, and I've seen how they can come true in terms of the context of some of my movement building work and, and in my own life. And so I continue to be a bold dreamer for us collectively of what would it mean for us to consider lobbying for and taking action toward our country engaging in a deeply loving, accountable restorative justice process um, around racism and white supremacy in this country. And, and that really is where a lot of the focus should be. And then also how, um, and less on fearing being a bad person. I believe right. that with maybe a few freak exceptions, I believe that, which I don't even know if that's true. It's just, I've seen too many, movies about psychopaths, but, but that I believe that my understanding of Judaism is that people are inherently good um, and our country needs to engage in teshuva, which means a process of return, return to our inherent goodness and beauty of our humanity and right the wrongs of, of racism, which is a social ill and um, a disease, a virus, a poison that's infecting and hurting many of us. And that's how I think of this. So I don't approach, when I say that many people are racist, I'm not coming from a place of judgment. I'm coming from a place of, oof, yeah, this is something that's hurting all of us. We need to get these toxins. We need to detox. We need to get yeah. this off our skin and out of our system because I don't believe it's in our DNA. I believe right now it is in the DNA of the country. I don't believe it's in human DNA. I believe it's in our system. And like any good detox is someone who loves eating healthy and eating green. Um, this is some stuff that we need to detox. And it's going to be funky and it's going to be uncomfortable at first. And we may need to vomit some garbage out. Um, but over time, we will be healthier and it will lead, just like it, detox leads to 
healthier living for people in simple terms. There's all kinds of unhealthy. I'm talking about the healthy kind, not weird fad things, but um, getting healthy nutrients in, getting healthy nutrients in around um, truly valuing every human life and having that be reflected in all our institutions um, will be a painful process, but it will be a process that will ultimately lead to the sustainability and welfare of, I think, not only our country, but as an empire and as a colonial and imperial empire um, in the world, again, again, I'm bringing in the depth here of analysis, that, that it will also be good for the planet, like the better and healthier our, um, our health is as a country and our, and our collective mental health and well-being around actually being honest about what's happening and stopping the lying and the covering up of things. Um, the better it will be for this planet. Yeah, and, and not just in a mental health, not I mean, not just in a spiritual sense, but in a literal sense, because as yeah, you say, literally, you know, yeah. climate change is inextricably linked to yep. systemic racism. Um, if because you know, well, it's okay that 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 um, that the smoke from that power plant are poisoning folks because it's it's. It's, it's communities of color. And so we don't, you know, as a, as a nation, we don't care about those communities as much. And so we mm-hmm. allow that pollution to continue. Um, so yeah, in a, in it's a literal all sense. of us. Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, no question. People of color more, but we all going to die They're, if we don't well, figure this out. <laughs> it's so it's killing people of color first, but that right. doesn't mean it's not killing white folks, you know? Right. I mean, I think there's a, there's a lot of analysis around that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's it for now. Um, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah, we covered, we covered a lot in 30 minutes. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Our show's theme music was composed by Elliot Hammer. You can find this track and other beats on Instagram at Elliot Hammer. If this episode resonated with you, please share it and subscribe. To join the conversation, visit JewsTalkRacialJustice.com, where you can send us a question or suggestion, access our show notes, and learn more about our team. Take care until next time, and stay humble and keep going.